So this evening is going to be kind of part two of what we started wading into last week. And so the title of this evening's message is Keep Calm and Take the First Step. But just to recap very quickly from last week, for those of you who may have missed out, last week we thought about endings and beginnings And what stepping into a new season looks like. And so in doing so, we read from the book of Deuteronomy, and we meditated on moving from being a people of faith to becoming a people on mission. And we considered the fact that the message of the book of Deuteronomy is really about what it takes for people with a faith to become people with a mission. The generation that we saw as we read through that that text died in the desert believing in God. They had experienced God in the miracle that they had gone through in the Exodus. They had experienced His provision in the wilderness. They experienced His leading, etc., etc. Yet they still acted in unbelief despite hearing the voice of God telling them that He would be with them, that He would go before them, that He would fight for them, they still were fearful and exercised unbelief. And so as we considered that, we looked at three points, and we saw Johannes. And we saw that Unbelief wastes time. (laughs) We saw that unbelief wastes time. Secondly, you have to break free from being defined by your past. Thirdly, you have to overcome your fear of the future if you want to become a person of faith stepping into mission. Now this evening, following on from that, we look at the next chapter in the story, and we'll follow on and we'll ask ourselves the question, what's next? What is the next step for us after having decided to become people on a mission? So you've exercised your faith, you've set aside your unbelief, you've dealt with how your past has affected you, and you feel ready for the future, and now you ask yourself, what is the next step? in following God. And the next stage in the story that we looked at last week is what we'll meditate on this evening. And we'll take from the story a few practical steps to help us determine what the next step is for us as we move into our new season. As we move into the newness that this new year brings for us. And so in doing so, we're going to actually be reading quite a few verses, um, quite a chunk of Scripture. We're going to read about 18 18 verses from sections out of chapter 3 of the book of Joshua. And we'll we'll read just a few verses out of chapter 4. And so we'll read from Joshua chapter 3, and we'll read the first eight verses, and then from 14 to 17, and then 4, 1 to 7. And it reads as follows. Early in the morning, 
Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, that's about 900 meters. Between you and the ark, do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And then we'll read verses 14 to 17. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And then we'll jump to chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the context of this story, at least at this stage in the journey of the Israelites, 
is that Moses had died and Joshua had been appointed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. You can read that in the last chapter of Deuteronomy and you can read about Joshua's commissioning in the first book of, in the first chapter of Joshua. And so the Israelites are camped at the Jordan River and they were ready to cross into the promised land having to decided to become people of mission. And so when they cross over the Jordan River, they would be in the promised land. But the only problem for them was at that stage is that the river was in flood. There is a clip that was taken in 2013 of what it looks like when the Jordan River is in flood. It happens in, uh, on our calendar in the month of March or April. In, in Hebrew, it is the month of Nisan. It is the month of harvest, harvest. And the Jordan River always bursts its banks. And the water flows fast and the river automatically becomes quite deep. And so according to the Lord's command, the people were to consecrate themselves, as we read in verse 5, and be ready to move when they saw the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before them. But as we noted, they needed to stay a distance away from the ark as it was being carried, about 900 meters, which is quite a distance. When the soles of the feet of the priests carrying the ark stepped into the river, the river stopped flowing. And the water was held up a distance a few hundred meters upstream from where they were, and they would be able to safely cross over. The picture that I have in my mind when I read this reminds me of the time when the Israelites needed to cross the Red Sea. Do you remember that? And Moses held up his arms and the waters parted and the people were able to cross over safely. Except here, the priests had to step into the river and the water would stop flowing. And so while the priests, as you see in that, in that artist's impression there, while they were standing in the water, in the, in the, on the dry riverbed, the Israelites were able to cross, and when they had all crossed, and the priests lifted up their feet and stepped out of that dry riverbed onto, onto the dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place. In that clip that we saw, overflowed its banks, its banks and returned to what it was like before. And this leads us to our first point that we should note, that we can glean from the story. The Jordan River was the boundary between the wilderness and the promised land. It was the obstacle between the Israelites and the promised land. And so in the minds of the Israelites, while they were standing there on that shore, they would have thought about 400 years of slavery 
40 years of wilderness wanderings. They would have hoped, walked, suffered, prayed, talked about, cried, trusted, regretted, sinned and whined their way to the place that they were at. Kind of reminds me about us. They get to this point and what do they see? They see another obstacle. A river in flood stage overflowing its banks. And there is no low water crossing in sight. The Jordan River is approximately 250 kilometers long. They can't go around it. There are no bridges, so they cannot go over it. The way is blocked and the river appears impassable. This is neither a good time nor a good place to cross the river. More often than not, that is how our personal Jordan rivers look like. Don't you think? The challenges that we face in our own lives. But God had chosen and brought Israel to this time and place in the same way that God chooses and brings us to times and places for our own river crossings. And now here's the truth, our first point. The only way across the river is through the river. A new season, a new year lies ahead of us. And there is no way around this season. Unfortunately, you cannot skip a few grades and jump to matric. Unfortunately, you cannot skip over a few years of work and get that promotion. We cannot fast forward or teleport to the end of the challenges that we face in our lives. We have to go through it. But is it not encouraging for us to know that we never go alone? God himself goes into the river with you. The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God amongst his people. Because God, let us not forget, is the God of water crossings. And we remember that God was there when Noah drifted across the flood waters that swept away the old and receded to reveal a new world. He wrestled with Jacob in the night. He blessed and renamed him and then watched Jacob limp across the Jabbok River with a new identity. God called out his people of bondage in Egypt and through the Red Sea, he was always with them on their journey of salvation. And so every crossing is an act of God's faithfulness. And so the only way across the river is through the river. We each have a Jordan River that must be crossed 
Even I myself have some, and usually there's more than one, and just when you've crossed one, it seems like another one crops up. It seems that the life of faith is a series of water crossings. And so like Israel, we stand at the edge of the Jordan in the face of what lies ahead of us. And the only way into our personal promised lands is through the flood waters of life. And I don't know about you guys, but for myself, I usually always have questions when I face challenges. And so too the Israelites would have had questions as they were standing there watching this water flow in front of them. They would have asked, how deep is it? How solid is the bottom? Is it slippery? Is the water cold? How strong is this current? How far across do we have to walk? What will we find when we get to the other side? And those are all really good questions. And in some way, those are the questions that we ourselves ask when we face challenges, when we face our own Jordan rivers. But ultimately, however, it is God, not the answer to those questions, that takes us across our rivers. And so coming back to the story, the Israelites, they cross over the river while the priests were standing there in the, in the, on the dry riverbed. And when they had all crossed, the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground Everything returned to the way it was. And this reveals to me, at least, our next point. And it's this. God did not hold back the water for the people of Israel before they put their feet in. It is only after they stepped into the water that God acted. And so very obviously, you've got to get your feet wet. The waters do not part until we step out in faith. Until our very own feet are dipped in that impassable river. God can only work with what we give Him. Standing on the bank, waiting for answers waiting for a better time, waiting for a better place, or waiting for the flood waters to subside, offers God very little with what to work with. That first step, however, gives God something to work with. One step is all that it takes. One step. And so as Soon as Israel's feet were dipped in the edge of the river, God acted. The flowing waters stood still and there was dry land and all the people were able to cross over. Even when we consider in the New Testament what Jesus said to his disciples, it concerns moving. Jesus' command to us is, follow me. Take steps to follow me. And so we all have that one step 
that first step that needs to be taken. So I can ask you, what is that first step for you? There are many first steps as there are circumstances in life. Maybe the first step is to offer someone forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe your first step is to let go of anger or resentment. Maybe your life is unmanageable. Let me encourage you, take that first step. Sometimes the first step is simply to be quiet, to be still, and to listen. Perhaps yours is to let go of having to be right or in control all the time. Maybe it means you no longer let fear dominate your life. Perhaps the first step for you is to risk intimacy and vulnerability. Maybe that one step is taking responsibility for your actions. So ask yourself this evening, When you get your feet wet, take that step. So step out in faith and get your feet wet. Now that's that's at a personal level. What about corporately? As you enter, as we enter into this new season, there are a number of ways that you can get your feet wet here at church as you become a follower on mission. We have life groups. We've got the band. There's young adults. There's GAP. There's children's ministry. We have prayer ministry, missions, mercy and justice, lamb, groceries, grief share. We have loads of avenues for you to get your feet wet in. And so as you step out in this year, think about that. Get your feet wet. Or maybe God is calling you to start something new in this new season. We move to our last point and then we'll close. Coming back to the story, when the Israelites had set up camp after having crossed the river, God commanded the Israelites to take 12 stones out of the river and to place them where they were camping. The 12 stones, as we read there, were meant to be a memorial. God said in chapter 4 and verse 6, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And this brings us to our third point. God is a God who is into remembering. Now we know it's true that in Hebrews 8 and verse 12 he says that he will remember our sins no more, but that relates to him holding it against us. But I think in this context 
And if we think about the Old Testament in general, we see him several times in the Old Testament where he moves in extraordinary ways. He tells his people to stop and build an altar. And when we look at the way God even organizes the nation of Israel, he organizes and structures them around what they call feast days or holidays. In Leviticus chapter 23, we read about the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Passover, of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. All of these are memorials where God is saying to His people, I want you to remember who I am and what I can do for you. And so these feast days weren't just holy days or holidays as they've come to be known uh, or times for celebration, but they were times to reflect back on very specific faithful moves of God so that they would remember who He is and what He is capable of doing. Even in the New Testament, we see the Lord's Supper and baptism that we're going to witness next week. Those are ways that help us to remember and proclaim what Jesus has done for us. Remembering is important, even in our own country. Secular institutions recognize the value of remembering. In our country, we have Human Rights Day on March 21st. We have Freedom Day on April 27th. June 16th is Youth Day. And that's besides Christmas and New Year's and Easter and all of the other holidays. Those days are there to remind us that we must remember. Long ago and far away, I used to play rugby for a club. And, um, and at our clubhouse, there were trophies and some banners on display. Now, those trophies weren't just there because they were nice to have. Those trophies were memorials. And so when, when we played a home game and the opposing team came to play against us, those trophies and a few of the banners that were up there symbolized to the team that we were about to face that they were about to face a team that would beat them. The trophies also served as a powerful recruiting tool for any young players who wanted to join a winning team. And then, of course, it also reminded us as club members when we were facing a poor run of form that the potential for us to be victorious again is there. Remembering is powerful. Remembering is important and God knows that we are forgetful. And so he tells us to remember. 
And so we practice remembering, often even without realizing its value. And so as the band comes up, thanks Mike, the story comes to an end where God's people find themselves in the promised land. And I want to read the last two verses that reflect on this episode in their story in Joshua chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. And this is how this story about this part of their journey concludes And it should be how our journeys, how our Jordan River crossings ought to conclude as well. This is what it says, verse 23 of chapter 4, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord 